All right, good morning, Three Circle Church. I want to welcome all of our campuses that are joining us right now and all of those joining us online. We are going to continue today thriving in Babylon. It does not say surviving Babylon. That's, a, that's too low of a bar for what God has for his people. We're not just surviving. We can thrive in our own version of Babylon. We have a picture of that. We have a model of that from the scriptures today. We have a picture of hope, a picture of, of overcoming, a picture of victory, even when you're in the middle of our own version of Babylon. We really are, right? I mean, we are waking up in a world that is so shaky, so full of strife and war now. And of course, right now we pray for all of those who are suffering in the Middle East and we pray for Israel and we pray for the innocent people on the other side that, that had nothing to do with this, that are hurting and in pain. We pray for them as well. There are believers on both sides of this thing. Uh, that are being uh, attacked by this terrorist group. I mean, there's just unbelievable things. And we call on you as we have across all of our social media sites as a church to pray for peace and pray for Israel and lift this situation up to the Lord. But we wake up in a world, right, that still looks a lot like this ancient story where it's hard, it's tough. And not only over there do we see that stuff, but we see it right here, don't we? We wake up in our own version of Babylon. We can hardly recognize where our culture is now. It happens so very fast. And so what we are seeing is we're just looking in the Bible and, and we are seeing what does the word of God tell us? We're kind of turning off the radio and turning off the TV and turning off our echo chambers and turning off our political parties and turning off all that and, and going, God, would you tell us how we are to live and thrive in our own version of Babylon? And we're going to come to a point today where Daniel, remember we're looking at Daniel and his buddies Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're going to face the fire today. And we're going to see that they absolutely are going to come up gold. But they're going to teach us some things in the process. Because we have looked at last week how Daniel uh, and his buddies, how they treated even Nebuchadnezzar, an evil, wicked king, with honor. They gave. Respect has to be earned, but the Bible says honor is given. And Daniel modeled that for us, and it could not be harder than what he had to do. Yet he treated Nebuchadnezzar with respect and, and honor. He, I think he actually cared for Nebuchadnezzar, prayed for him. We saw all of that last week. But today we're gonna see Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego draw some lines. I want you to write it down. We are called to draw lines in the sand. You know that phrase, right? We use that phrase. How many of you have ever used that phrase? You've said, you know what? I'm drawing a line in the sand. Maybe you've done that with your kids. Those rooms are gonna get clean. I'm drawing a line in the sand. And then you had to erase that line later because the room stayed messy, right? We have this phrase in our house. It's a, it's a tension to manage, not a problem to fix. You know, that's, that's what you got to decide. So we know that phrase. We've all used that phrase. And what I want you to see today is that Daniel and his buddies are going to draw some lines in the sand. But what is important, because I think we all draw lines in the sand and our culture is being done, our political parties do it, we have all this stuff going on. I wanna help us today not just arbitrarily draw lines in the sand, because if you're not careful, you draw the wrong ones. Here's the deal, choosing the right lines to draw is absolutely critical. Just as critical as it is to have the courage to draw a line in the sand is the wisdom to know which lines to draw. And I think Daniel is going to help us with that today. The first time we see Daniel draw a line in the sand is very, very young in the process. We're going to look at his whole life, guys. He's going to live through three kings of Babylon, just like Jeremiah said. He's going to be there for Nebuchadnezzar, who we uh, refer to as Nebi around here, right? And then there is 
his son, and then his grandson. And Daniel's going to be there for all of them. But the first time we see the character of Daniel being willing to draw a line in the sand is right out of the gate. So if you remember, he gets captured. He's brought into Babylon. He's one of the good-looking, smart guys along with his buddies. So that means they get thrown into the, uh, if you will, the preparatory school and the preparatory process to become servants of the king in the king's courts. This would have included physical maiming, okay, that, that, that he wouldn't be, have kids the rest of his life, no family. That happened because he probably was turned into a eunuch. He then also with his buddies, they were sent to a three-year Babylonian university basically to be indoctrinated. All of those things happen. When he gets back from all of that and he enters into the king's court, the Bible says in Daniel 1.8, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. He resolved. He resolved. The original language there says he resolved in his heart that he would not. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Now, let's talk about what that means. First of all, what we see here from Daniel is that he had opportunities to draw other lines. Notice the lines he didn't draw. He did not draw the line when they said, you're going to have to go to Babylonian University. That's not where he drew the line. He could have said, no, 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 I'm not going there. I'm not going to listen to that stuff. For some reason, he said, that's not where I draw the line. He did not even draw the line at the physical changes that they made to his own body. He's like, I, that's not where I'm drawing the line. But when he gets back from all of that, and it's time to begin to eat the food from the king's table, that's where he decides that he draws the line. And what we see here is a, is a principle. Number one is this. If you're a believer like Daniel was, we must be people of conviction without compromise. This is important because we all have convictions, but often we'll bend our convictions. I mean, I've been doing this long enough to see people that come and say, man, I love Jesus, I believe in Jesus, and then blow up their marriage. And not, and not do sexuality the way God wants them to or not do money the way that God wants them to. So they go, yes, man, we love God. We just don't do what he says. Oh, we're convicted. We got strong convictions, but we're not gonna actually do what he says. I mean, come on now. Like no resemblance in their lives, the way they're actually living to what they say are their convictions. So what we'll say is, Listen, when Daniel said he resolved in the original language, it is purposed in his heart. That's what resolve means, purposed in his heart. What that means when it says Daniel resolved is he didn't just have a conviction, he also had a commitment. And that's what we're gonna have to add. For you and I to live in our version of Babylon where you're gonna be tempted to compromise constantly. The pressure for you and I to compromise is just gonna heat up, guys. For you to acquiesce to the culture around you. Now, last week, we looked at the fact that you're going to be tempted to be angry and bitter and polarizing, and we don't do that either, but we're also not compromisers. We're going to see that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, these guys don't compromise, and I think that there's too much compromise going on in the church as the, the temperature rises. What's going to happen when one day maybe you lose a job because you would not bend and compromise your values, your convictions. And let me ask you right now, what are your convictions? Do you have convictions? Or have we become a convictionless people? Or are there things that you go, you know what? 
these are, these are the hills we'll fight on right here. Do you even have one of those? Do you have that for your family? Do you have that for your marriage? Do you have that for your personal life? Daniel did. Daniel had a clear line. He was like, hey, I won't go this far. Now, why did he choose the food? Let me tell you why. Two reasons. Number one, Daniel was a Hebrew young man. And even though the, the country had moved way off the line, he would have been raised with those dietary laws. He knew that God had given his people. So when his people went into the promised land, God said, here's how I want you to eat. And it was different than anyone else. So it set them apart. Now, I am thankful that over in the New Testament, one night Peter was on a roof and God said, you can now have barbecue, to which we all go, amen. He didn't say barbecue, but you know, he talked about foods we like to throw on the grill. So he changed the dietary law. The dietary law doesn't apply anymore, and, and we're real glad for that. I mean, how many of you can say amen to bacon? Like, thank you, thank you for bacon. And that happened that night on that rooftop. That's good news. But when Daniel was on the scene, the dietary laws were still in place. And, and not only that, because the, kings, the king of Babylon would have been eating all the foods that he, he should not eat, so he could not cross that line. And then the other is to eat of the king's table meant that he would be buying in to his system because he couldn't stop them from doing things to him physically. And he could go sit in the classrooms and listen to the attempt to indoctrinate him without allowing it to indoctrinate him. How many of you know from the story that Daniel does not believe what they taught him for three years, right? It's pretty clear. He has not been moved in his faith. In fact, his faith has been strengthened after three years of going off to Babylonian University. By the way, a little side note, Christians, let's not be so scared to death. If you'll raise your kids in the truth of the Lord, my goodness, they're gonna be able to stand in a Babylonian world. I promise you that, but it starts when you should be scared is if all your kids got was a double dose of baseball, football, cheerleading, art, whatever it is, and they didn't get it much, Jesus, now be scared if you send them into Babylon like that. Just being honest with you. Because being able to hit the home run is not going to help your kid when they sit in a classroom with the first professor that comes at them for their faith in Babylon. But for some reason, Daniel and those boys went off to Babylonian school and they were like, this is a bunch of garbage. They came back stronger than ever. How many of you would love to raise a generation like that around here at Three Circle? That's what we're wanting to do. That's what we want to see happen. All right. So Daniel decided, by the way, that he would not, he would not eat the food. It's so important. By the way, what he, what he understood was for him to eat that food would be like buying in to the system. And, and by the way, the modern version, like with us, we, we're, not, we're not tempted to bow down to actual idols here in our country, the way it would have been in ancient times. What we are tempted with is to buy into the system. That's a, by the way, buying in is a form of bowing down. Just know that when you buy in to this world system, you have bowed down to it. It's the same thing. It's a form of worship. So he purposed in his heart. He resolved. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flows the springs of life. It's important for us to understand that our convictions need to not just be convictions. They need to have commitment. It needs to seep down into our hearts. And I'm convinced many of us have convictions, but there's caveats, way too many caveats. Like Swiss cheese, you can drive a car through our caveats when it comes to our convictions. There's been many times, at my house, there's a, there's a jar that sits on the counter in my kitchen. It's like this big and it's full of Oreos. 
Now, I don't know if y'all know this. Oreos are delicious. And I have a son who really loves Oreos. So it's really his jar, okay? And, and so there'll be times when, hey, I'm eating good right now. I'm eating clean, you know, because 40-something-year-old daddy doesn't have the metabolism that 18-year-old Gabe does, my son. He has ab- raging metabolism. You know what I mean? And my metabolism, I don't know what's happening. I walk by the jar and bad things happen. You know what I mean? But there'll be times where I'm eating so clean, I'll walk by that jar and I'll go, you know what? I'm just going to have one. See, there's a caveat. I'm convicted, but I don't have commitment. And I, I don't know if you know this. You eat one Oreo, you're eating 10. I don't care what you do. You're eating 10 of them. And you feel real good, but after 10, you know, 30 minutes later, you're like, you know, I don't feel so good. Bad things are beginning to happen. Uh, Oreos are delicious. So conviction needs a commitment, right? It needs more than that. And we need to have more than conviction. We're gonna have to have commitment. And we're gonna have to let it get into our hearts. And I'll just ask you again, is there anything in your life that you're that committed to, that it's in your heart, you've resolved, you've said, this I will die if I have to over this one. Here's my line in the sand, and I'm convinced many of us don't have any of those. We've got lines in the sand that we're more than willing to just brush over and change and move them constantly. Is there anything that's immovable in our lives? Moses modeled this, by the way. Moses himself would have been the hero. Moses and Abraham would have been Daniel and his buddies' childhood heroes. They were the famous guys that they learned about. They learned about them when they were little bitty kids. And they would have known about Moses and how he handled himself when he was in Egypt. Hebrews 11, 24, 26 tells us that by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses had that kind of resolve that I think Daniel and his buddies remembered. They're like, wow, he was in Egypt and now we're in Babylon. And and Moses was willing to suffer if he had to to not buy into that system anymore. You know, Moses, by the way, we we forget what he gave up. Moses was 40 years old before he left Egypt. Up until that point, he was in the royal family. He was famous. He had lots of money. He had a free ride at the Egyptian local buffet. You know what I'm saying? He got what he wanted all the time. And then one day, Moses, and many of you have got to have this, this moment in your life, and maybe you're 40, 50, 60, and you've never drawn hard lines. Moses one day decided, I can't do this one more day. I know who I am and everything in my life has been a lie. And I can't do this for one more day. And he, and by the way, if you want to know if someone has commitment added to their conviction, watch their actions. Daniel, I'm not eating the food. In a minute, we'll see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's big moment. What was Moses' big moment? Taking off the Egyptian stuff and walking out into a desert. He went from being an Egyptian prince, an Egyptian rich guy, an Egyptian powerhouse to herding sheep out in the desert. That's a pretty big drop, guys. He'll do that for 40 years too. He's 80 years old before he comes back to Egypt. When he comes back to Egypt, it's not to go shopping. He comes back to lead God's people out of there because he purposed in his heart. So let me tell you, don't tell me about your convictions. Show me your actions and then I'll know what you actually are about. I know what you actually hear about. Oh, tell me, don't get on Facebook and spout all kinds of stuff if I can look at your life and go, oh, well, 
that's not who you really are. That's not what you really do. That's not what you really believe. Come on now. We see a consistency with these guys that we're looking at. And one of the big things we see with Daniel, he purposed in his heart. Where did he draw the line? Watch this. He drew the line where God drew the line. He thought, now this is one that God told me not to do. I can't eat that food. So he decided this. When human authority opposes God's authority, believers must obey God. Now that's where that line is. He obeyed Babylonian law 90% of the time. They said, you go to our school. He went to the school. They said, we're gonna do this to your body. And many of us would have drawn the line then, but Daniel didn't even draw it then. They're like, you're gonna work for the king. Okay, and we're gonna see he's gonna work not for one, not two, but three wicked kings. And that's not where he drew the line. But he figured out, here's my line. You can't make me directly disobey my God. That's where he drew the line. So when it came to Nebuchadnezzar saying, you're gonna have to disobey your God to obey me, Daniel said, then I will not obey you. And that's where we are. And we're gonna have to decide that. And I'm telling you, the pressure's gonna get hotter. And again, we, as, we wanna live as people of peace. I showed you last week that when the design works the way it should, we're not in opposition all the time. Listen, if all you ever are is in opposition to the wicked conspiracy theorist government stuff that we deal with all the time, if that's all you can ever say, you're not living the Christian life. You're living a fearful, paranoid, I'm scared of everything Christian life. That doesn't look like you believe God's sovereign at all. It looks like you're scared. That's what that looks like. I thought I'd get more amens than that, but it's okay, I understand. It's uncomfortable. Insert spoon, stir, pot. But it does not mean that we acquiesce. Daniel had his moments where he's like, I'm not going an inch further. Here's where this stops. But it wasn't just Daniel with that food. His buddies Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were gonna have their moment. You see, not only was Nebuchadnezzar a tyrant, he decided one day he wanted to be like a god. So Nebi built a statue. Nebuchadnezzar decided to build a massive statue of himself that he would then, when it was finished, have all the people in Babylon bow down and worship. Do you see that? Now, up until this point, old Nebi's just a little crazy, a little unhinged. He's just a tyrant. And for the most part, Daniel and Shadrach and the boys, they obey him. They serve him well. They have all risen in power very quickly. They came back from university and they became like mid-level managers like that in Babylon. They are powerful and this made by the way, this made the other Babylonians in the court jealous. Can you imagine? The Babylonians are not happy that these Hebrews have come back and like they are the best at everything they do and they're rising in the ranks. Okay, so they're looking for a way to get them and here comes their opportunity. King Nebuchadnezzar builds a statue to himself and the Bible says in Daniel 3, 6 that he said this, whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Now that's pretty scary, right? I don't know about you guys, but burning to death would not be like high on my list. So we like to turn these into kid stories. You ever look at the stuff that we think are the kid stories in the Bible and go, now I wonder what we were thinking. Let's just kill everyone in the planet in a flood. Put that all over the preschool walls. Let's, uh, how about that fiery furnace, huh? That's a good one. That won't keep a kid up at night. <laughs> These aren't kid stories. These are stories, 
true stories for us to learn and live by. So can we today put on our adult, mature glasses to look at this story through a different lens and go, now what is God trying to show us? These are in their late teens now. They may be 20, 19, 20, 21, right in that range. And they are standing out in this place and the trumpets play and the band plays. And in that moment, they know they're supposed to bow down and they look around and 100,000 people hit the ground and worship. And there's their moment. Now just, just put yourself there. You realize what's about to happen. You can see the furnace. This is horrific. You can feel the heat off of it. You know what's about to happen. And here they go. Now, do they bow down? No, we know the story, right? They stand up. Can you imagine them talking to one another? They're like, here we go. We're gonna stick out like sore thumb. Old Nebby's gonna be mad, isn't he? I don't know what they said to each other. Did they say, hey, maybe it won't hurt long? I don't know. I know that it had to have been terrifying, right? It had to have been terrifying. They do not bow down. The young men refused to cross, not their line, God's line. That's where they drew the line. That's where they were willing to fight. I won't cross God's line. Their lines had already been crossed. They had been made very uncomfortable. See, when you're made uncomfortable by the world you're in, that's actually not the line because we are gonna be uncomfortable. You're gonna have to give and give and give. It's not always gonna be fair. It was not fair for Shadrach and his buddies and Daniel to be treated physically like they were, indoctrinated like they were, ripped from their homes. None of that was just. None of that was right. And they, they didn't draw the line on any of that. They drew the line at God's commands. That's where their, their convictions lined up with God's. They refused to cross God's line. And I want you to notice as we read the response to their stand, some important things. So if you will allow me, I'm gonna read this narrative and hit the pause button a couple of times just to show you things I don't want you to miss. So those jealous Babylonians now have their moment. They go to King Nebuchadnezzar in chapter three. They said, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed. So you, now you get a little inside info. Look what Nebi has done with these guys. You've appointed them over the affairs of the province of Babylon. So that's how powerful these guys have become. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, watch this, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods and they don't worship the golden image that you have set up. Hit the pause button. That is half true. What's true about the statement they just made to the king? It's true that they won't worship his gods. It's true they won't bow down and worship the statue. But what is a lie? is that they pay no attention to him. That's not true. They've done nothing but live at peace. When he said go to school, they went to school. When he says serve me, they've served him. They've been good servants, so good that he has lifted them up. They're helping run Babylon and it's never run better. These are good men and they are serving this king. These men lied about him and just know this, know this. You will be misrepresented when you hold to your convictions. You will be. This world will lie about you and misrepresent you. That is an absolute misrepresentation. It's an exaggeration. Verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar in a furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king and Nebuchadnezzar answered and he said to them, is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up. Now, if you're ready, 
When you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I've made, well and good. By the way, that's how our culture works. If you'll just acquiesce. Our culture demands acquiescence. It demands, here's a buzzword for you, affirmation. If I don't affirm, then I must hate. See, that's what the demand was for these boys. Oh, you, you're, you don't bow down, so you must hate Nebuchadnezzar. Well, that's not true. They didn't hate Nebuchadnezzar. They served Nebuchadnezzar, but they, they wouldn't cross that line. You're gonna be not just tempted, it will be demanded of you and I as believers to cross lines that we cannot cross. So he says, if you just, if you just bow down, it'll all be fine. But if you do not, you'll immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who delivered you out of my hands? That's probably a question he shouldn't have asked. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, now watch, this first phrase is a phrase of honor. Don't want you to miss it. Like me, I would have been like, all right, Nebby, you know, because I'm thinking I'm going to die anyway. I'm calling him Nebby just one line, just one time. They said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, that's honor. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. You know what? That wasn't being smart-alecky. They were saying, you know us. You know us. Come on, man. We're the best you got. It's a bunch of crazy guys you got running the place. It's better than it's ever been. You, we, don't have to, we shouldn't even have to answer this. You know who we are, oh, Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 17, but if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, burning fiery furnace. Here's one of literally one of my favorite responses in the Bible. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king, but if not, but if not, be it known to you, O king, hear the honor, O king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we will not serve your gods. We will not worship the golden image that you have set up. In other words, we love you, we will honor you, we have honored you, we want to live at peace, but let it be known to you. Our God can save us. He is the living God. He is powerful. You would have no power unless he gave it to you. He can save us. We hope he does. But even if he does not, we will not cross this line. This is our hill. We've never done this before. You know we've never done this before, but we will burn before we bow. That's conviction plus commitment. That's saying, whatever it costs me, whatever it takes. A couple things to notice. Notice Nebuchadnezzar was enraged that they did not acquiesce, that they did not bow down. Notice this. A lack of acquiescence to the world system will often invoke rage from the adherence to that system. You've already felt that, I'm sure, right? Wait, you don't affirm? Wait, you don't agree? Then you hate. Then you're this, then you're that. You get called the names, it's coming, it's, it's gonna come more. And we're gonna have to go, no, 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 that's not the same thing. I love you, I'll serve you, I care. But I'm not gonna bow down, I can't cross my lines. And Christians are gonna have to be willing like these boys did to match our actions with our words. Look, if we're gonna wag our fingers at the culture and talk about how bad it is, then we better get our own houses in order. Because part of the problem is the world sees a lack of consistency and alignment. They get a lot of loud from the church, but not a lot of conviction and commitment. And they go, well, 
you guys are telling us to do relationships the way you do, but your relationships aren't, aren't so good. And, and you're not faithful to your spouses. And you're, you're not raising kids any different than we are. You're just as materialistic as the world is. On and on and on it goes. Folks, we are going to have to be a people. If we want to make a difference, if we want to be salty like Jesus said, then we are going to have to be people of the book. We're going to have to be people that actually stand in our convictions, not just talk about them. When it costs us, we're going to have to stand. When it's hard, we're gonna have to stand. Now, remember, you've gotta, you can't just take this sermon and go, yeah, I'm gonna walk out here and draw some lines in the sand today. No, you draw the line in the sand in light of what we talked about last week. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I don't think would be blasting the Babylonians on Facebook every day. We just don't see that. What we do see is that when the battle came to them, they didn't go looking for it. They were looking for a fight but they brought it to them and they stood and they stood strong. They stood strong because it's easy to throw something on social media. It's different when they're about to throw you in a fire. It's easy to be loud on social media. Different when you might lose your job for your convictions. Then the money gets involved. Then you might be like me walking by the Oreos. Well, just one or two or 20. Now, where do we draw our lines? So, This is important. In the New Testament, the apostle Paul dealt with this issue of people drawing lines and people were drawing the wrong lines, convictions. So in the early church, you had the Jewish people who were becoming Christians, but they were, they were like, but we're the chosen people of God and we're gonna bring all of our Jewish rules with us. The gospel's great, but we're gonna bring all of our rules like circumcision and food, you know, and all that stuff. And like, no more, no, y'all. And so they were looking at the Gentiles and they're like, you're gonna have to retroactively come into our circumcision thing and all of our rules, our Sabbath, we got a special day. You, no more barbecues for you, no more. No more brisket and bacon for y'all. And Paul's in the middle trying to balance all this out and he, He gives a lot in Romans 14. I'll give you a little snippet. He he says this. He says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? He's talking about us serving God. It is before his own master that he stands or falls. He will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day is better than another while another esteems all days alike. He's talking about the Sabbath and you can apply that principle to all of it. And here's the principle. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. What's he talking about? He's talking about be careful with lines. And I want to give you a way to look at this. This is where we're going to land the plane. I hope this is very helpful. First of all, you have lines that what we're going to call them are God's lines for all. So God has lines for all. They're called his commands. And we should, as Christians, draw those same lines. So that's what Daniel said. This is a line God drew for everybody. And it's the food line. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew, and I put it in your handout, that in the 10 commandments, it said, do not bow down and worship any idols, right? That was God's line. God's lines are for all. And we as Christians, here's how we handle it. We dare not cross God's line ourselves. And for others, we model it for them. We tell the world, now this is what God says about sexuality and we model it. And we tell the world, this is what God says about marriage and we model it. And we say, this is what God says about money and we model it. And we say, this is what God says about how you treat the government and we model it. You see, you see, you see, you see how that is? It's God's lines. And we are modeling it and telling others about it. Then there's another kind of line though. There's God's line for you that might be different from someone else. We call this those personal convictions. 
It's God-given conviction and your conscience. You should obey it and share it with others. So it's okay for somebody to go, hey, you know what? I still do the Sabbath. It's a conviction for me. Okay. That's what Paul was saying. He was saying if, if, if a Jewish person comes into the faith, they're not bound to the Sabbath, but maybe they just go, but it's good. For, like, we still want to do this. It's okay. Now, it drove me nuts. When I was a kid, my granddad, I, y'all know I love my granddad. He's in heaven now. He had this crazy rule. I lived on 200 acres, man, with catfish ponds and bass ponds, a couple of them. It could be the most beautiful day on a Sunday afternoon. I'd go to church, worship Jesus, but I couldn't fish on Sunday. No fishing on Sunday at the bell house. And as I got a little older and I was reading my Bible, I I remember the day I looked at him and I said, where does that say that in the Bible, pops? You know what he said to me? It's my pond. It's my pond. And you're not fishing in it on Sundays. Gosh, come on. But you know what? It was his pond and it was his conviction. And his conviction, since I was his grandson, became my conviction, even if I didn't like it. But you gotta be careful because God may put something on your heart that he didn't put in someone else's and be careful to not get crazy about that. But here's the last one we really gotta watch out for. You have lines for you. That's called opinion. It's called personal. So be humble about that and be understanding with others, okay? It just may be your conviction. Don't make everybody feel weird because it's yours. Be sure you know the difference in those three. God's lines, you don't cross them. God's lines for you, you don't cross them either, but don't don't make someone else feel like they're less spiritual. That's called being a Pharisee. And then if you got some things that are just for you, tell others about it, but chill out a little bit, man. You know, others have their personal convictions. This is how we operate, but I'll come back to this last thing. What do you need to resolve in your heart today as a Christian in this Babylon we live in? What have you never truly resolved in your heart like Daniel did, like these boys did that you go, I'm not crossing that line. In my marriage, in my family, with my kids, here's where I draw the line. And it's God's line. And I add my commitment to it. I'm not moving. And that's my hope today that we would draw those lines you. I want you to think about that one today. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray that you'd have your hand on us today and help us to live this out by your goodness and grace. Help us in Jesus' name.